No, go ahead, talk. <laughs> Say, you're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. No. Do it. No. Do it. <laughs> Say, you're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> you're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. The WordBros.com. This week we have a very special guest. Well, before we get to the special guest, I'll introduce you, Kevin. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Bob. I'm Kevin. I'm Bob, and we write comics. We talk to comic writers, artists, um, all kinds of people, editors. It's a lot of fun. We do this podcast once a week, sometimes twice. It depends on, on it depends how on how many guests we yeah. can get. Yeah, and, and it week, depends on how much fun we're having. Yeah, so. This week we have a very special guest on. We have Justin Jordan. You know him from Luther Strode, from his work on Green Lantern Corps, from Reaver, from all kinds of stuff. He has a Kickstarter that he's promoting that launches today. It's uh, Urban Animal. You can check that out on Webtoons, but you can check out the Kickstarter as well, and he's going to talk to us all about that and all kinds of other things too it's a very interesting conversation he's a really really cool guy let's get to it Justin Jordan, I am surprised you are here. I was just telling Kevin before you showed up in the room that I was giving you a 50-50 shot of being here. So thank you for joining us today on Word Bros. Thank you for having me. And 50-50 was probably optimistic because honest to God, I I usually tell people like send me a reminder the day before because even though I have like two calendars and a to-do list, I still manage to lose meetings and interviews on the regular so i'm also happy that i'm here yeah because because i saw that you never opened the zoom invite and i was like oh bad start and then I, I, looked, I, I peeped on facebook to see if your little you had a green dot next to your name and no green dot next to your name and i was like oh i don't think this is gonna go off at all i got a bad feeling about this but you're here i am i it's funny i uh so what i don't recommend is accidentally staying up till five in the morning getting up at one in the afternoon and then having to run errands before you've got a five o'clock uh thing <laughs> scheduled because i literally got done with everything i had to do at four fifty six. <laughs> so now why were you up until five o'clock in the morning Justin? it's because he's a human that belongs to a cat that's probably uh, that that is partly accurate actually yes uh <laughs> my my cat so the reason i was up that late was partly that I, I've gotten in this my sleep schedule lately has been kind of jacked up generally. It's never great, right? But the last couple of weeks it's been worse than usual because I've gotten into this bad habit of being like I get real tired at like six or seven. So I end up taking a two hour nap from like seven <laughs> to nine ish. Which not only is it clearly a mistake, it's not as if I don't know it when I do it, right? Like, it's not <laughs> one of those things where it even seems like a good idea at the time. Uh, and so then I end up not, I end up getting to like midnight and I'm all like wired. Uh, and then as it goes with the cat, uh, she also likes to be fed her quote unquote breakfast. 
at kind of random times, but are always sometime during the middle of the night, early in the morning. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and there ends up being a point in which I have gotten to the stage of the night where I might as well just stay up until she wants fed. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> because I'm going to go to bed for like 45 minutes and she's going to romp into my room and be like, human, I need sustenance. <laughs> So you can't just you can't put food down for the cat and just kind of let it eat at its at its will. It just kind of wants food, eats it all, and then comes no, back she's, later. She's she's got she's got dry food, expensive dry food that she can and does eat at any time. But she uh, also needs well, she also gets wet food, which I I use some Miralax in with her because she's a long haired cat. Okay. But otherwise, she gets poop problems. And so that requires my attention. Uh, and what I have found is that if I give it to her too early, uh, and early is an extremely relative term here, <laughs> she just thinks she's going to get fed twice. So it doesn't doesn't actually help my not getting woken up problem. Now, obviously, I could just like not let her come into my bedroom and wake me up. But come on, she's my cat. My <laughs> My sole purpose in life is to make sure she's as spoiled as humanly possible. So, you know. And at some point, isn't she just going to find a way into the room anyway? Like, what are you going to yes. close the door? She's just going to scratch at it until you wake that up. That is accurate. Yes. Yeah. yeah so. <sighs> These tricky beasts that live in our homes. No, it's funny. I, I, <laughs> I have this thought like once a week. I adore my cat. She is one of my favorite creatures in the world. And so this is not a complaint, but I about once a week have this thought about how weird the concept of pets is. Like, here, I'm going to bring this furry little house gremlin in and just love it because. Like, <laughs> all right. No, we have, um, we have an old dachshund in our house. My wife, myself, and our two children have an old, old dachshund. His name is Shay. He is 16 years old. Oh, wow. That is old. He wears diapers because if Aww. not, he just pees all over the house and he gets up at all hours of the night. And I feel you. Like, I understand. Like, we have to buy him expensive kidney food because his kidneys don't work that well and that he eats maybe a third of the time. Half the time, we just throw it out because if you prepare food for him, we have to get it wet. We have to put wet food in it in order to entice him to eat but if he doesn't eat it right at that moment he's not going to eat it at all so most of the time you're just throwing food away it's a whole ordeal it's a real giant pain in the ass and there are days where i just wonder what if i didn't have a dog but you can't <laughs> you can't tell him though because he'll be real sad so the reason why i brought that up was because justin's cat has a name that you would you would appreciate bobby i'll let justin tell you what the name of his cat is because we had this conversation about his cat at heroes con so i, I want him to tell you what the name of it because I, I know you'd appreciate it i know you guys haven't talked about this oh yeah my, so my cat who is a girl is named tom waits <laughs> that's wonderful i told you, you would appreciate yeah. that so that's a wonderful cat name <laughs> so it is it is and it it it's been six years now and it still cracks me up. So it's good to be amused by your, by your own naming things. So when I first found her, she was this kitten of indeterminate age. So we think she was probably six to 10 weeks old. I, I have officially dated her birthday as August 1st. And I found her actually around this time in October, six years ago. And she was a mess. So she had an eye infection ear mites, upper and lower respiratory tract infection, worms, fleas, <laughs> a tick, and dreadlocks. And the whole net effect of her is that she very much looked 
and sounded like Tom Waits when I found her. <laughs> That's awesome. And I was like, I need to call this cat something. And I was, I was not in that initial 24 hours. I foolishly thought that I was not going to have a cat. And I was like, okay, Tom Waits it is. Yeah, and uh, I, sometime before I got her to the vet, just through whatever, I'm like, you know, I kind of think this cat's probably a girl, but I'm just going to roll with it. Yeah, it's um, fine. It's fine. Yeah, which was funny. I go to the vet and it's just, it's it, it's not effective in a podcast, but like I go, so is that a girl kitten or a boy kitten? And the, the vet just flops her over and looks at her butt for literally not even half a second. He's like, girl, I was like, <laughs> I guess when you've seen a thousand cat butts, you know, genital areas, you get you get able to like nail it. Even at that age, they all kind of look the same. That's um, but it's amazing because uh, as my first of all, like I said, I was not intend. I like cats. I was not intending to have a cat, but by the time I got to the vets, I was like, I would die for this creature, and I would kill every being on Earth to protect her. <laughs> so I clearly had a cat, and uh, when mom met her, mom took one look, and she's like, oh, she's going to be a beautiful cat, which was not obvious at the time, but like in about a month, she was amazing looking, so she's and, this beautiful, and- buffed, long-haired cat, which buff is like a blonde sort of color. So. Ooh, fancy, but you didn't meet this cat on a train nothing like that at all you just i did not nope i did not i nor did i meet her in singapore um <laughs> no chocolate jesus was involved in okay. in getting her to come to my house so That's that is a wonderful name for a cat Tom. i would have just thought like renfield it. because of his role in dracula so there you go Oh, that's fair. All the in- yeah. all the insects and the cat Renfield. Well, I will tell you, she does like to she does like to eat insects. She uh, <laughs> she sky raisins are her favorite thing. Sky I actually <laughs> I actually feel vaguely vaguely sad that we rarely get flies in the house because she so loves chasing and eating them. <laughs> <laughs> now we're not just here to talk about our love of pets, which makes you very endearing, Justin Jordan. I think this is a very creative strategy before launching a Kickstarter um, to make yourself as likable as humanly possible to your audience. Um, You have a Kickstarter that you're getting ready to launch here for your uh, urban animal comic. Yes. Yes. I do. I do. We are, we are bringing urban animal to print. So we'll be launching, launching the Kickstarter within 24 hours as we record this. Yeah. That's very exciting. Now, how do you feel about um, about launching this Kickstarter? Is Kickstarter something that you envisioned yourself doing as a creator this late in your, I guess, in your established career, or are you just kind of roll, rolling with it? It is. I think. Uh, I think it's going to kill me. Um, <laughs> I, correct, I was you're correct. About, yeah. I say I was thinking about tomorrow, and I was like, I am going to be so stressed out for for sure tomorrow probably for a while and that will be true even if the thing funds within 20 minutes right like i i am inherently sort of competitive so like whatever the result is like i'm always going to be like come on i need some more need some more money in there Um, (laughs) i did so yeah with kickstarter i've i have long wanted to do a kickstarter the the fundamental stumbling block for me uh and we'll get into how this one is different is that I am reasonably confident in my ability to market and put together a Kickstarter. I am not at all confident of my ability to do fulfillment in a meaningful way. And nah. so I have I have long been terrified of like doing it and then just basically crapping the bed about actually getting the product to people. Um, which is one of the reasons with the Urban Animal Kickstarter, we, John and I, John Amore, the artist, 
have partnered with Rocket Ship Entertainment. Um, and so they will be handling uh, fulfillment and that kind of stuff and actually a lot of the nuts and bolts of the campaign. So a lot of what I am doing is just putting together, uh, working to put together rewards and promoting it and that sort of stuff, um, which is an enormous load off my mind. Uh, the other reason that I'm doing it with Rocket Ship Entertainment, Rocket Ship has basically specialized in bringing webtoons to uh, a print edition, um, which is not a trivial thing. Uh, so I don't know how familiar your readers would be with the webtoons format, but they use the scrolling format that's yes. not laid out like a print comic book. And uh, unless you have started with a print page and disassembled it to post on there, it is a radically different thing. And what John and I decided to do early on is that we're not making a print comic for webtoons. We are making a webtoons comic. Uh, so it is intentionally designed to best use that format, which means in the process of bringing it to print, it requires a lot of logistical sort of engineering and reformatting to get it there. And since the comic is still ongoing, and I am useless on a technical stance. Uh, <laughs> we don't have time to do it. Um, so even if, uh, regardless, Rocket Ship was a, was a good choice, but they also sort of allow me to dip my toes into the into the Kickstarter waters without without having to do the part that I am pretty sure I would screw up, um, <laughs> which is good. But yeah, I I have long wanted to do it, and you know, it's one of those things where. Uh, and it's funny because the last month or two has kind of proven that I was on the right track is that I've thought for a while now that for for uh, a creator who's trying to go for sort of long-term longevity and to get the most projects out, like a hybrid model is probably the way to go where you are utilizing crowdfunding and that sort of thing. And by crowdfunding, I I'm mostly talking about like Patreon and Kickstarter, but not exclusively that. Right. And not exclusively those in the sense of, you know, it might have might end up being Indiegogo in the future or whatever, you know, that sort of thing. But I think using that to provide what I guess you would call kind of boutique projects for really people who want something fancier and then also moving that out into still having a direct market release and that kind of stuff, which I know is very much like you guys did with Metal Shark Bro. Um, and it's, it's, you know, honestly, what Scott Snyder did with Noctera is almost exactly what I was thinking that I would like to do. You mean, um, make, which you is, mean raising $300,000 on Kickstarter? Yes, Justin. Yes. That is something we yes, all want to do. We would like to do that as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would like that. Or maybe to Keona Reeves the crap out of that. And, yeah. you know, make <laughs> $1.5 or whatever Berserker ended up doing. Um, um, it, it was more than that. So it was, was, it? It was, yeah, like, it was box go. office numbers. No, I'm kidding. <sighs> I was kidding. There's no it box was, office right it now. It was so. it was definitely over a million, and yes, I think it, it actually was, was like 1.5 or some Holy ridiculous smokes. figure. Smokes! I didn't even see where that ended up. I just gave. Now up he has to. Now he's gonna have to look. So because he's have now, to look. Yeah, yeah. I knew you. I knew. Keep you talking. Would, keep talking. It, it, but gotta, yeah, I think what, uh, he's right. So what Scott did um, with Noctera is that he's fundamentally offering sort of a. Uh, they're offering. They did $300,000 or whatever for the first issue um, of an ongoing series, and they were basically offering a black and white with the script included kind of fancy edition, which actually something much like that is something I long want to do for even like Luther Strode and stuff. I thought it would be cool to have like kind of a I always envisioned it as a digital thing. Um, and it's funny. It's never you would think it sounds trivial, but 
the none of the like comicsology or anything really have the ability to do what I would like to do, which is to have a digital edition of a comic where you can click on it. So the first one is the page, uh, as it is in the print. You click on it, the lettering goes away. Uh, you click on it, it goes to the flats. You click on it, it goes to the line art. You click on it, it goes to the script. And you can do that for any given page, just see like the x-ray version of the thing so how the sausage is made yeah, digitally yeah, yeah. yeah exactly cool. yeah. which is surprisingly difficult to do i could probably get something made that does that but then there's the thing of like hey you've got to install this program that i had somebody homebrew for me so good luck you know wah, kind of wah, wah. <laughs> yeah, exactly and you would think it seems like it would be within the range of what comiXology can do but they won't <laughs> as yet because uh, I, I I do work with them on Breaklands. Um, but to get back to what the original question was in this extremely long and rambling answer, yeah, that kind of crowdfunding combined with traditional publishing model, I think, is a solid one for the future. And I think it behooves anybody who's doing comics, uh, certainly as a living, to try and basically squeezes as much blood from any particular stone as they can get. Uh, and it also allows things to be viable with, you know, a lot less people if you are doing direct to direct to fan, direct to consumer kind of stuff. You know what I mean? I, I, you can, you know, if even if you were doing it digitally, right? Like, let's say you were selling something on your website and you wanted to do 99 cent digital issues. It actually only requires like 10,000 people to buy that from you for it to be viable at professional rates. 20,000 would be like solid, like DC, Marvel, pretty top tier rates, you know? Mm -hmm. And that is both an incredibly hard number to hit and also not a lot of people. It's yeah. one of the frustrating things about comics is like the, the levels that you need to hit to succeed are pretty low, but they're still really difficult to hit. Um, and so, you know, when you're, when you're doing a crowdfunding thing, you know, if you've got a few people who want to pay 50 bucks for like a, you know, limited sort of hardcover of the first issue or whatever, that goes a long way to sort of amortizing the costs of doing the whole series as a whole. You are correct, sir. Yes. You are correct. And, um, I looked the Keanu Reeves comic made $1,447,212. There you go. Backed by... 1,400 and excuse me, why can't I speak today? What's wrong with me? Um, 14,571 backers. So Ooh. there you go. So you need just 14,000 people to make a million just bucks? 14,000 yep. people to make a million bucks. Shoot, yep. we're only 12,000 people or so. We're getting close. We're building an audience. We're building an audience. Now, <laughs> are you saying, Justin Jordan, that you want to do some kind of like super terrific luther strode kickstarter are you breaking that news here on word bros that you i i i am not breaking that news <laughs> I, but i am not against it uh, you know that's one of those things where i would back um, that well so what what we what we've actually <laughs> talked about and are still talking about and this actually so if you want to know about the justin jordan business plan which i have no idea how much of interest this is to you or your or your listeners but in short we can make if, it interesting we just add, say, ice cream, add, add ice cream to anything and it becomes interesting. It's true. Oh, that's fair. Uh, ice cream and cats. So, yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. So my next step in the Kickstarter journey, if everything goes well, and, and obviously this is partly contingent upon my collaborators on those books, is what I would like to do, and this, this, does, this is relevant to both Strode and Spread, notably, is 
look into using Kickstarter to fund hardcover editions, omnibus editions of them. Yeah, yeah. Which has existed for Spread, but it's out, or, or for Strode, but is out of print. Uh, which I, I love Image, but I they they, in my opinion, and I'm sure they would disagree, kind of continually us underestimate the staying power that Strode has had. Um, so I thought they had underprinted to begin with, and the economics of doing a hardcover omnibus of that size basically like you can make a lot of money but you need to make a lot of money in yes. order to cover mm -hmm. a print run that is even quasi economical kickstarter sort of because you're doing direct to consumer as as i mentioned really changes the math on that um yeah so while image might not find it viable to do uh, a, another edition of the hardcover luther strode we probably would uh, I suspect. Listen to that. Breaking news, everybody. Yeah. Breaking well, news. and I mean, so uh, like without. It's just uh, smart. It's just smart business, like you were saying before, like because, you know, you're going to have those people out there that, that it may only be 100 people, but they will pay that 100 and whatever, like they, they, for all the collected versions of Strode with how the sausage is made and some little extras like and it's worth it to that that size you know number you might have more if, like you, you have like 300 people that it's worth it to you still made it economically viable for um, you to produce that run i'm going out on a limb here if you did a loser yeah, yeah, i think car I think cover you'd get a thousand people easy like just yes. boom right off the bat i hope so i suspect so um so it's huge in, man people love that shit they do uh I, it's yeah. it's shocking to me how not popular wrong. the book remains um I, it's funny we just got our image accruals um and like that book just keeps chugging along it yeah. doesn't make if, a ton of money in any given year but for a book that is now 10 years old it makes a fair bit of money yeah and if anything year. now like all of your profiles are that much bigger yeah yeah you know like you're especially about... just after you just did reber and that was really successful for you yeah so I so mean, like you, you the people are gonna kind of like associate you with that and then you'll you'll get people from that which was the the last thing i heard about you doing was i might be wrong but the last thing i remember seeing in the comic store was reaver am i wrong no well reaver reaver and dead body road 2 um, okay dead body road are, 2 which, which simultaneously I, yeah. I knew about the first one i didn't know there was a second one so there is which yeah yeah one of the things i need to do and have been trying to do is shore up my marketing uh so people do <laughs> actually know that things well, like that well, exist give yourself uh, a break though justin because i mean to be fair this is a tough business because you are essentially doing it all yes you know i think that's the one thing i think people who are outside of comics don't understand is you as you're writing you're producing you're making sure you're trying to hit deadlines you're doing your own marketing you're doing your own promotion it's it's overwhelming a lot of the times when you just stop and think about shit what have i done today all the hats that you yeah. have to wear and, yeah. and it, everything that you clearly have to do to get these things made it absolutely is it's funny i will um i will talk to people uh, so like how much how long how much time do you spend writing every day which what they mean is what they probably mean is how much time do you spend working each day and those are those are as you know separate questions like yes, i write so. i write three or four hours five days a week which sounds like a part-time job but as you know <laughs> the rest of my day is eaten up by the rest of everything else which far outweighs in a time basis how much time i spend doing my quote-unquote job you know what i mean because mm -hmm. it is all part of the job but i think people from the outside don't realize uh just how much it is but well, yeah, with the Kickstarter thing, so like the Strode thing is a possibility. Um, we're all hypothetically for it. We need to talk with Image and 
Trad definitely does not want to be drawing a thousand sketches in books and stuff. So we need to yeah. we need to make that work if it's going to happen. Um, Book plates. And, yeah, exactly. In the same way with like Stro or with uh, Spread, we we I don't know that the I don't know that the market the direct market would bear a hardcover omnibus to make that feasible. But I do think the book has enough fans to make a Kickstarter version of it. Kind of. Yeah. We well, let's talk, ta- let's, cause I think I, I'm excited that we're talking about all this, but at the same time too, I don't want to bury the lead because the reason you're here is to promote your urban animal Kickstarter, which is launching, I guess this will be out on Monday. So you're launching today. Yes. Uh, yeah. Three o'clock, three o'clock on okay. Monday. So this will yeah, be this will be out a few hours before that. Tell us about Urban Animal. Tell us about this book. I what's mean, the story? Yeah, so what's the story? Morning Glory. How does this thing shake? So out? basically, <laughs> it's about Joe Gomez, uh, who was a thought he was an average kid uh, until he starts getting bullied, and he turns into a saber toothed tiger, uh, and then his life gets way weirder than that um, because. It turns out that Joe is uh, a chimera, which is a nature spirit that's sort of a guardian of nature. Um, and so it is very much a riff on uh, kind of manga and superhero sort of stuff. Uh, it's basically, if you read it, you should probably come away with the idea that Justin really liked Buffy the Vampire Slayer back in the day. <laughs> um, with, with some influence from that. Uh, it's been... You know, I feel bad. I was thinking about this today as I was driving around doing my errands. I still haven't really polished my pitch for it to the extent that I would like, uh, as as you just saw, because I don't know that that encompasses what the book actually ends up being. Which um, is pretty hilarious that you haven't yeah, nailed good. down your pitch, considering I'm looking at a Bleeding Cool article here that was posted a couple of days ago that you have, what, 10, 100,000 readers a week? Yeah, that's awesome. And you don't have no, a pitch for, yeah, for that's, this yet. <laughs> the irony, the irony is not lost on me, but that does go a long way to illustrating the sheer size and power of the webtoons kind of thing. I, uh, yeah, we have uh, as of right now, we have a little over four hundred and seventy-five k subscribers. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, and in any any given week, we get around a hundred thousand ish. Uh, it it goes up and down, uh, readers. Um, and it's funny. Without going too much into the weeds of it, uh, it, it's interesting to me that I found out that, so we, Webtoons has a thing called Fast Pass, which you pay uh, to read a comic early. Uh, It's literally what it is. You pay 50 cents to read next week's episode now. And they usually have three episodes in a row. So if you want to pay a buck 50, you can read, you know, the next three weeks now. Um, And based on what John and I get paid, we actually have at least 5,000 people doing that wow yeah um which is kind of fascinating like you know if you look at it as like oh if you subscribers to that but still that's one percent of people who are interested in something that is free who are willing to throw money at it just you know to get it early or to support the book or some combination of the two which is fascinating to me it's it's an interesting model and it's interesting yeah the sheer size of it just kind of cracks me up i I've talked about this in relation to comics. I, when I talk about comics, and I think that I would, I would bet money this is true of all of us. When we say comics, we are probably talking about the direct market. Yeah, uh, usually, usually, yeah. When you're talking yeah. to people in comics, you're talking about the direct market. Yeah, yeah, and and it's funny because in the U.S., that is for sure the smallest of the U.S. markets, right? Like yes. bookstore yeah. and library, webtoons and manga, to varying degrees, are all bigger. But like the webtoons one, so. 
despite the numbers we just quoted, by Webtoon standards, we're sort of upper mid list. You know, we're doing well, and we we're we're doing well, but but by comparison, Let's Play, who is also published by Rocketship Entertainment, has uh, four million subscribers. Wow. Yeah, and if they're if they're like to viewer ratio is anything like ours they've got a million weekly readers wow yeah That's crazy uh, yeah the sheer scale of that is sort of intense but at the same time in the bookstore market you know you've got dave pilkey who does dogman mm-hmm. dogman's latest book has five million as its initial print run yes five million yes uh and in any given year i think it's probably possible that pilkey alone sells more trades then the direct market sells trades into the direct market. No, you're I, probably right. You're probably right because yeah. my son alone would, would buy like two Dogman books and he would buy a separate Dogman book if there was like a poster in it even. Like he'd be like, we have to get this other $12 Dogman book because there's a poster in it. So like, you know, um, it, you it goes to speak no to, to the books. Well, yeah, no, I, 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 I actually can't as a parent. And yeah, then also, because like, if you do, you're a terrible parent. That's just the rules. And then also, like, it's it's Scholastic has cornered the marketing on that, like, with like making, oh, yeah. Like, make, make, they've, they've really got it, like, in their pocket. So it, they it's crazy. Bring, they bring the it. books to the audience. They yes. absolutely do. And, and it's funny that Urban Animal is by far by a factor of magnitude if not to the most widely read thing i have ever done that's uh, crazy. and i would guess if you asked 99.9 percent of people who are just in direct market comics about urban animal you would just get a blank stare and it's the same way with like it's it's sort of shocking to me how many comic book shops you can go in and if you re- mentioned Raina telgemeier or dave pokey you just get a dead ass stare about yeah. <laughs> about it like dude that's the market like this this is you know i love singles and i love the direct market but like the market if you are into sequential storytelling are those other things it's oh, totally. it's webtoons and it's bookstore kind of stuff and um, it's apt to change with corona you know like that that, that yeah. it seems like the change is coming like whether they want it to or not with dc going through a different distributor and stuff like that so it is and and so as it relates to urban animal that's one of the things that you know i i i both want a print edition because I like print and because I also like money. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, straight is. up, like, it it's is. also it's also a uh, it's also that I want people who will not and do not read Webtoons uh, and don't know the book exists to know the book exists. Right. Which right. is the hard thing to crack. And, well, and, and I mean, the cool part about that, too, is you can do a Kickstarter version of it, which won't cross over into your webtoon readers. And then if you do a direct market version of it, that won't cross over into the other two categories as well. So it's really weird and kind of fragmented how the audience of comics consumes comics. <laughs> that is that is absolutely true. And uh, I, you know, I pointed that out when I'll talk about the business and stuff before. Like, Like there's some overlap between the webtoons audience the web comics audience and bookstore market stuff right and but there is close to zero overlap between the direct market audience and the webtoons and bookstore yeah, audience to- like, two, two totally different audiences yes. yep yep mm-hmm. and uh and it's it's sort of fascinating to kind of see that and that's that's one of those things to, to opine on the industry i i love the direct market i love singles i love comic book shops but <laughs> Marvel and DC 
probably have really missed the boat. DC is, is attempting to get on it a little more better, that they don't have a pipeline from that scholastic audience into the shops and it would be profitable on its own. But, you know, it's one of those things where like, there's no real good reason something with the resources of DC or Marvel backed by Disney and Warner Brothers couldn't do what Scholastic has done. They're just, that's just not the business they're in, but they could, you know what I mean? Just need to make a DoorDash for comics. So we'll go by the shop and pick up your, pick up your polls for you and and then we'll deliver them to your house, which, which is a direct pipeline to them. It is, it is fascinating to me. If you look at the direct market from outside, it's kind of a fascinating thing, right? It's, it's dominated by Marvel and DC and Marvel and DC are making a very specific kind of product. Yes. They are making product for people who have read comics and read a lot of comics and always have done and reading specifically Marvel and DC comics. Because despite the fact that I am a professional nerd and I write for these <laughs> things, I will pick up stuff and I have I it is incomprehensible to me. And I don't mean that in the sense that oh, you should be able to pick up any issue and understand it. But like it's abstracted several degrees beyond I don't have the knowledge base to deal with this and as it goes with like comics like comics is sort of unique in that we have that right like there's there's not really an equivalent to that one of the advantages that those other markets have is that if you like manga and you saw One Piece or One Punch Man or something without one in the title like My Hero Academia Mm -hmm. and you want to read that you start at one, you go to the end. Now, in the case of One Piece, there's like 100 volumes of it, but it's still a straightforward journey. If you like a webcomic, you start at the beginning, you go all the way through. If you like Batman, like you saw, you know, you, you see the Robert Pattinson Batman, you're like, yeah, Batman's awesome. And you came to me and be like, where do I start with Batman? I have no answer to that. Yeah, no, it's a, you're yeah. exactly right. Yes. Uh, and And that's a problem, right? Like the analogy that I've used is, Honestly, let's be honest, like singles are vinyl, right? They are a niche product uh, that needs a healthy other thing to exist, which in the case of vinyl is singles and radio play and streaming. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And that, that, that stuff exists for comics, right? That's, that's what bookstore <laughs> market and web comics are. But the problem is, is like we also, in addition to being vinyl, we're producing vinyl that is only German death reggae. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're producing content that is incomprehensible to that other market, and there's no way to funnel them in. And it's not that we shouldn't be recording German death reggae. It just probably shouldn't be the dominant thing right. in our, in our vinyl think, niche. But it's also weird, too, because there is the relationship of like the comic industry to the comic shops yeah like that that relationship is so kind of i guess vital to the organization of it all but yet so out of date and almost feels out of touch to the way people consume the media does that make it sense? it is and yeah and it ends up being a like chicken and the egg kind of thing like a, a great deal of comic book shops are conservative and i don't mean that in the political sense i mean that they are understandably averse to change and they want to do things like that and so if you propose doing things that might build the audience to eventually cycle back into them they they often regard it as a threat uh and i don't actually blame them right because a lot of the stuff that gets suggested 
won't actually probably help and might hurt them. Uh, it's like, you know, it's like with digital. Like, I think that by and large, people that are buying digital comics, you know, through comicsology and stuff, not web comic readers, but, you know, that kind of stuff. I think that's probably a separate ish audience than the weekly Wednesday warrior that goes in for the new polls and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But I do also understand that a lot of people think like, Oh, cheap digital comics. And like, that'll, that'll expand the audience. I'm like, it won't though. Right. So when you propose that to retailers, you're, you're looking at something that may hurt them and almost certainly won't help them. Um, Because it doesn't matter how cheap you make something. If people don't want it to begin with. Right. Right. Yes. Like you literally can't give, comics away a lot of the time you know what i mean you can on free comic book day but like you could pay facebook to give free copies of you know marvel and dc books to people and like it's just not going to happen that's just that's not what they want for for a variety of reasons um so when it comes to retailers like i do i understand you know that kind of conservatism they've got uh but it ends up being a chicken and the egg thing because you know we've we've got especially in the direct market we are at best kind of stable-ish a lot of the time, but like we are not experiencing the growth that we have seen in you know in web comics or or graphic novel or in the bookstore market and that yes. kind of stuff. Like mm-hmm. we are just not getting that in the direct market, and and part of that is we've built a market that appeals to the market we've got and not a market we could build, um, and that's that's a problem. Which we've gone way off topic, but oh, part of the reason I mean, that I've that I've done things like Urban Animal it's is still, explicitly to move outside of that. But I think yeah, it's would, but I think it's an is, interesting conversation to have because as creators and as people in, interested in the industry, I think they want to see where it's going, and, and 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 I guess the progress that's being made and things like webtoons. Like my question about webtoons is, I'm a writer. Kevin and I are comic book writers. I mean, I look at this webtoon thing and I go, how the fuck do you do? How do you write this? Like, how do you work on something that's a page turn every panel? Like, that just seems maddening to me. So that's my question to you, Justin Jordan. How do you uh, write something like this? That practice. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting, right? Uh, so writing for Webtoons has turned out to be hugely fun. Uh, and part of that is exactly that. Because you are not writing to the rhythms of those page turns explicitly so every panel can stand on its own or not but that also comes with its own sort of difficulties and stuff but it was a learning process right so with urban animal so it is not the first thing that i pitched to webtoons the first thing that john and i and it was john and i pitched webtoons was a project called travelers and travelers was basically about Humanity had basically been reduced to living in these giant uh, Jawa-style sandcrawler-type things, uh, and that was each was a community on its own, and they just had to keep constantly on the move, basically because we had essentially created like robots that were not intelligent, but they they worked with like basically video game AI-level stuff, but mm-hmm. they were so <laughs> we made them so good at reproducing themselves that we basically got screwed. Uh, and <laughs> and basically, if you lingered in any one area, they would start converging on it. So it was kind of video game logic, um, which is, you know, it's a cool concept. Uh, and I, I think the pitch we did was good. It is also entirely wrong for Webtoons. Um, just what Webtoons does and what the demands of the format, which is essentially optimized to be looked at on a phone, they just do not lend themselves to that kind of story. Um, and Webtoon said as much, and they were entirely correct. So I went back, and I really read a lot of Webtoons, and I really worked to reverse engineer 
what was going on and what would wouldn't would would and would not work in my opinion for webtoons um and that's that's how we got urban animal but even once we started doing urban animal so uh, an urban animal uh a webtoons episode basically they are for us uh a minimum of 40 panels long okay and that is roughly equivalent to six or seven pages ish of uh of print comic it's not a one-to-one sort of thing because you can get away with a lot of stuff in panels in webtoons that would just not fly in in print comics and that sort of thing. And so, but ballpark it, I I would write six pages worth of stuff. And I was initially trying to do that as six pages. And as you point out, I found myself writing the page turns that weren't there. I just could not break the habit. Um, so I had to. I would find myself in that same problem. Yeah. He yeah, probably would no. have to remind me. That's good that there's two of them. Because even reading it, like, I've, because yeah. I have friends that have webtoons, I've read webtoons, they're like, how much longer do I have to keep scrolling? Oh my God, this is, when does this end? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And so uh, it, it ends up being, um, it's it, so what, what I had to do with it is I actually had to create a new template. And it's not fancy. <laughs> I, when I say template, it's literally, a word document that has uh panel one panel two up to panel 40 with no page breaks in it right Uh, and i i did that and that helped me break out of that sort of thing like i i could not do it with my uh (laughs) with my page thing which is funny because so i'm also working on another digital first comic um i i write the in-game comics that are in call of duty mobile Oh, that's cool. Um, oh, that's awesome. It's rad. Uh, but those are also basically panel by panel things. And if I tried, I've tried to write with page turns, and I I still do it. Like <laughs> even though I remind myself that these pages do not exist, and I can have a page turn equivalent plot beat on wherever, still do it if I use my old template it's because you kind of train yourself when you do the comics to be like okay this third this is every every odd page i'm gonna need to do this so like it's weird because it's in my head like it's ingrained there that i have to do that because someone's gonna turn the page to the next thing and you you have to like in my brain it's like this is what you have to do like so it's weird because it's in there like it's it's totally there in my brain every time no, it is it is wired into your head. It it is it it makes you it just to me, I'm astonished at how ingrained that habit is. Now admittedly, <laughs> I've written a crap ton of comics over the years, so that's part of it. But like it's one of those muscle memory things where you're like, yes. I don't know how to not do this unless I like break and like I said, I had to create a new template to not do it. Um That's really interesting. But it is very freeing. Uh it's so one of the things I, I like about it's been interesting for me as in recent years, I have intentionally moved away from just doing single issue serialized direct market comics. Right. So I'm doing the, the call of duty mobile thing. And I've done a couple of graphic novels that are OGNs and I'm doing the webtoons thing. And actually both of those, both the webtoons thing and the graphic novel have. So when I'm writing single issues, I am writing to a rhythm of single issues in an arc which is to say even though it's not telling a complete story each single issue should be a relatively complete unit of entertainment it needs to come to some sort of climax it needs to do that but especially in work for hire the demands of that mean it's going to be 20 pages uh (laughs) and did we lose them (laughs) 
We both asked that at the same time. What he can't put in there. Um, and both the graphic novel and the uh, both the graphic novel and the hyper serialized webtoons format have kind of put me outside of that in a way that I think has been good um, has been good for my writing. So in the term in, in the case of webtoons, it ends up being that. I basically, and part of this is, the, I, I think the web expectations of the webtoons audience is I can spend a lot more time with just relationship character beats in a way that I don't think would fly for me in a print comic. Um, so if I want to have Joe just talking to his parents about the crap that went down for what would be the equivalent of like three or four pages, that is totally cool in a webtoon as long <laughs> as it's, you know, it's interesting. But no matter how well I wrote the thing for print comics, I at least would feel like oh, I can't have this go on for four pages. I just can't do it. Uh, right. There's too much, again, too much pages. Moment. You're yeah, wasting it, too much real estate. Like exactly. I, I can and have it, other cool stuff happening. Yeah. That's exactly it. And it's that yeah. same kind of muscle memory and sort of preconceived things. But, you know, Webtoons is, I think, improved my single issue writing and my, my serialized writing just in that I'm a little more willing to go into that kind of stuff. And I'm, I am consciously trying to put more emphasis on sort of the emotional beats of things, which I am very much in many respects, a plot first kind of writer. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the emotional stuff really works. And sometimes I'm a little hit or miss on it. Uh, so I've been trying to make a, a, a conscious effort to do that and doing things like urban animal have really kind of buoyed that up. Uh, and I think it shows an urban animal, right? I think, I think Urban Animal has a lot of heart. I think it, it is not much like Strode in many respects, except that I think they both have the same sort of heart and empathy for the characters. And I, I, I think they feel real to me uh, in a way that pleases me. And of course I write it, so, you know, that's me. But <laughs> but I think, I, I think you know, if you, if you read through the first season, I think you are going to like and care about Joe and the other characters and that sort of stuff. And, you know, I, that doesn't mean that I have... Uh, I have gotten away from my kind of plot beat sort of thing as it goes with webtoons. Like I do, I am essentially writing to a page turn at the end of every episode. I am basically by design trying to, it's not necessarily a cliffhanger, but there's intended to be a moment at the end of each one that makes you want to read the next episode, uh, which has gone well for us, I think. I think part of the reason that we're as successful as we are in Fast Pass relative to the size of our audience is because it is written that way. And that's just sort of my natural instincts as a storyteller. I, uh, and I also put a lot of thought into, it, it's funny, uh, and I am rambling, but I was- Whatever. You're, you're allowed. <laughs> this is your podcast, my man. There you go. I, so I am, uh, <laughs> I am going to be very vague about this next bit, uh -oh. but uh -oh. I am working with a- very big producer who has an exclusive with a very big streaming service Ooh. to possibly develop a television show. And we are going, we are a long ways from Justin getting dump trucks of money loaded up to him. <laughs> yes. But we are at the point of it where we were, we we're talking about the nuts and bolts of story. And one thing that I, I sort of went into when we had our last phone meeting this week was I have this belief about what and it relates to that single issue thing right it should be a complete chunk of entertainment but there's also this sort of sequence of questions and answers that you want to put out and, and and urban animals helped me hone that it's it's the opposite some shows are really good at presenting questions not answers <coughs> lost um, i was gonna say lost <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and honestly like i watched i watched hellstrom this weekend um which is not bad uh but it, it 
it leaves a lot of questions unanswered that I didn't think actually should have remained questions, right? So you need to get a rhythm of here's baiting the hook, but delivering on that hook in the next episode thing. And and right. Urban Animal has really helped me hone that. So, and I think that is part of the success of, of being able to do a hyper serialized thing is you don't necessarily want everything to end on a cliffhanger, but you want something that people want answers to or want to see the resolution of things, but you also need to deliver that while setting up the next thing. Yes. So there's a very specific rhythm to each episode of what we're revealing, what we're, what character thing we're setting up, what one we're paying off, what information is being put out to the audience and that kind of stuff. And that that takes, especially for season three, which we are running now, I <laughs> season three ended up being a tremendous bear to plot out ahead of time just because there are so many moving parts in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it makes for a satisfying reading experience. And that that is somewhat different just because of the hyper-serialized nature of it than you would get in single-issue comics or graphic novels. So what you're mentioning there with the baiting the hook and then providing good answers and like, and even taking their time to do it. Like I would say like a, a like a real near perfect paced serialized thing would be like a handmaid's tale. I don't know if you've seen it or not. Um I have like, not. they yeah. do this, they do they do a really great job of baiting things for future because then you ask yourself the question, like, well, why is this going? And then you don't get the answer to some of those things until like the second season, but you'll remember it from the first season because of like the amount of significance the characters placed on this particular thing. Oh, absolutely. So, so it's and, crazy. Uh, like when, when, when I think about what you're talking about there, I'd say Handmaid's Tale is perfect for that. And, and from a kind of strongly genre thing, I, I think in particular, in a way that's actually kind of subtle, I actually think the first season of Stranger Things was very good at that. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. Because it sets up a lot of questions in each episode. And obviously some of them take the whole season to play out, but like some of them are resolved pretty quickly. Like, What's the deal with Eleven? Well, here's part of Eleven's deal, but that raises further questions, right? Yeah. And that in the that is actually the ideal, right? Is you want the answer to the question to also present further questions rather than just being random ass shit that you're yes. throwing in there. You know right. what I mean? Mm-hmm. You want it to feel like an organic sort of progression and stuff. And and <laughs> but it's fake organic, right? For me, because <laughs> a lot of that is uh not all of it, but a lot of it is planned ahead of time. And it's me working back three or four steps from each reveal to kind of, you know, bait those hooks and that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Which, you know, I, I think it makes for a satisfying read. And it has also, it's one of those things that actually translates into like kind of television stuff as well, especially in a serialized kind of format where you are, or should be aware that people are probably going to binge, but they may also be doing it in, uh, in, episode to episode things which it ends up being funny because the rhythm of that is actually not dissimilar to how i would call the ideal of writing single issues in an arc to be collected like you know you you are still kind of parsing out that information and that sort of stuff and baiting that hook uh so it's been interesting and and one thing that is really cool about webtoons while we are not we are not writing week to week right like we are by nature of the fast pass we're ahead but we are ahead just anyhow so we don't run behind is you get immediate feedback to how things are working and not working in a way you absolutely (laughs) do not in regular comics like webtoons through some sort of sorcery or unseen moderation actually their their comment sections do not suck they may be the only place on the internet where that is true that's saying something yeah 
And uh, but you and but they're they're not anodyne either. Right. Like if people don't like something or they're unhappy with it, like you get that response too. or if they're not understanding something, you can see that. And that it does occasionally lead to tweaks in future episodes if that's not sort of thing. But it also sort of interacts with the plotting. Right. As it goes on, like if you see somebody's reacting to something and you're far, far enough, you know, uh, you know, that character is going to be significant down the road. You can thread in sort of different stuff and that. That is actually, I, I don't know, I think it makes for a better series, but it certainly makes it fun. Uh, it's, it's got an interactive component that you just don't get with uh, with print comics just because of the demands of the logistics of print. That's awesome. Well, Justin, uh, we are cheering for your success, my friend. Uh, this Kickstarter launches today because this will be out tomorrow on Monday. So good luck to you, sir. You've got this this whole world, Justin. It's in your hands. We're all we're all counting on you to save. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I really, uh, <laughs> really appreciate you having me on and listening to me ramble extensively at you and barely allowing you to talk, which I suppose makes for an easy podcast. Oh, yeah, it uh, totally does. We yeah. love it. We <laughs> love this. We love this format. You're, you're welcome to come on anytime because we I get was to making dinner during half of this. I missed half the interview. I got to listen to it. To see what you're talking about. <laughs> but yeah, uh, we're so if you go to Urban Animal Comic dot com it'll uh redirect you to the kickstarter um so we can thwart the algorithms to a certain extent um, <laughs> but if you don't want to throw money at me you can just google urban animal comic and it will take you to the webtoons where it is still available for free to read in its original format and where else can people find you if they want to find more information on the urban animal kickstarter generally speaking justin jordan comics at facebook uh is my fan page that uh has usually updated information justin jordan comics on instagram is also solid uh if i were more competent i would have a fully developed web page which i am attempting to do and have been thwarted at so i'm not sending people there that's but hard, uh, that's right hard. now that's the a Facebook different set of skills man different set of skills a twitter you have a twitter right i do it's justin underscore jordan so uh, depending on where you, if you listen to me, you get uh, varying degrees of absurdist humor also. So. I, mean, I think Which, people need that these days I, on, I, on Twitter. I mean, look at who you're talking to. You're talking to two guys who made a, a, a comic book about a sh- a talking shark who served Satan's nephew. I mean, there's not, <laughs> I mean absurdist humor. I mean, we're okay with that. <laughs> Dude, right. thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Jordan, his Kickstarter for Urban Animal launches today. Go check that out. Justin's a good dude. We talked after the recording for another 15 minutes. Good guy, man. I enjoy Justin. I think his work is awesome. Urban Animal's really cool. And uh, yeah, check that out. Yeah, get on the Kickstarter. And if you don't get on the Kickstarter, get on something else that yeah. Justin's doing. And then and then get to the Kickstarter because you have 30 days to go and back something cool. So we appreciate you guys listening. We'll be back next week. Uh, next week, we have Ram V on, correct? Yes. So. We have Ram V. He's going to be talking about uh, all the things he's doing at uh, Image and some of the things he's doing over at DC. And uh, I especially am excited to talk about the Savage Shores. So. I know you are. I am. I the am. hits keep on coming. Thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you guys next week. You're listening to the Word Bros Podcast, thewordbros.com. <laughs>